0: galaxy, wherever you are on planet Earth, and wherever you are in America, welcome to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. On today's program, once again, we're going to do a deep dive, a deep dive in search for knowledge that sets you free, because after all, what good is knowledge? What good is truth if it's not directly applicable to situations in your family's life, your life, your nation's life, your community's life, et cetera, et cetera? In other words, if you cannot connect the dots between where you are and the power of the Word of God, the promises of the Word of God, and then if you can't take the promises of the Word of God, which are life transforming, if you can't take those promises and directly apply them to the reality that you live in, and by that I mean apply it in the sense that you are going to use. The supernatural power of God that God promises you in His Word from Genesis to to Revelation. God promises you access by faith to receive what Jesus Christ described as power from on high in the Book of Acts. That's the title of my latest book, "Power from On High." I, I the book deals with all kinds of up to the nanosecond heavy stuff. But as you know, those of you that follow my writings and, and ministry, etc., it's not enough for me to just outline the bullet points of disaster and apocalypse. I mean, what good is that? It's very important to know. don't get me wrong, because if you don't know, you're going to get slaughtered. You're going to be like sheep being led to the slaughter. And that's what's happening in America and the world today, because of the massive ignorance, the massive spiritual deception which has been intentional, strategic, scientific, uh, that has been going on in the most intensified way beginning in the 1800s to the present moment. Beginning in the 1800s to the present moment, mankind, unbeknownst to the average person, mankind has gone through a revolution of consciousness, a revolution of technology and science and genetics A revolution of the way we organize societies and a revolution in terms of uh, taking steps, dangerous steps, if you will, in order to become God, which is the essential thesis and game plan of those that call themselves transhumanists. And and for all of you who do know and for those that may not know, uh, transhumanism is the branch of humanism. Which believes that through technology and science and through genetic manipulation and genetic engineering and DNA modification and artificial intelligence and robotics and androids, et cetera, et cetera, that mankind in our time will self evolve. In other words, mankind has the technology now. When you multiply it, think of a mathematical formula with white chalk and a black blackboard. And on the, the chalkboard, you have X equals, and you itemize all the uh, electromagnetic frequency power, the power of DNA, the power of genetics, the power of um, scalar technology, uh, quantum mechanics, quantum physics, and you, and you integrate or you synthesize And you harness all of this power for the targeted purpose of propelling man to take a quantum leap. And by that quantum leap, I mean, remember what Lucifer or Satan said to Eve and then Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were the rulers. They were the kings and queens of planet Earth. They had supernatural authority. They were immortal beings. They, they were downloaded with all kinds of supernatural powers, and their job was to rule and reign over paradise, which was planet Earth. But they had an interloper, they had a, a revolutionary in their midst, and that revolutionary was Lucifer or Satan, the highest uh, ranking fallen angel who decided that he wanted to become God. And so he has led a coup d'etat a revolution that consists of Lucifer or Satan, joined by all the fallen angels of various rankings, and then joined by all the men and women who made a deal with Lucifer, that they would be granted enormous power, wealth, wisdom, and supernatural powers, and all kinds of things, as long as they agreed to sell their souls to Lucifer or Satan. And if they agreed to sell their souls to Lucifer or Satan, then Lucifer or Satan would bestow upon them these enormous energies and talents and powers. So that's where we are in the spectrum of things. So again, uh, the serpent of old was inhabited by Lucifer or Satan. He used what is called the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil means the schemes, the strategies, the hypnotic power. The, the NLP, the neurolinguistic Linguistic Programming Strategies, the Milton Erickson Conversational Hypnosis Strategies, Persuasion Strategies, Scientific Mind Control, the, the art, science, and technology of the very highest level persuasion or deception is, is a dark esoteric knowledge that if you study it, and you're willing to sell your soul to to grow in it, Satan will give you supernatural powers to control people, and they will begin to follow you and worship you like God. And the Bible warns of this. So right now, Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the way they're they're organizing their coup d'etat is to uh, organize their... Mystery Babylon religion, which started at ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel. And they organized this religion of god kings who had supernatural powers, like Nimrod. And the Tower of Babel, of course, was a pyramid shaped uh, structure. And then the Egyptians borrowed or cloned the Mystery Babylon religion, took it to Egypt. And it's not an accident or coincidence that their building structures, their architecture, also consists of giant pyramids, because the pyramid is an ancient occult symbol. It's also an ancient occult uh, organizational structure or flowchart. It's important to grasp this, even, even though you may grasp it at a at a relatively superficial level, it's imperative to grasp this because this it is by understanding this it is through decoding these occult and esoteric and alchemical uh, strategies that you open up uh, the earth dimension to supernatural powers on a very very high level and that's what most people don't understand because it's deliberately been hidden from them throughout the centuries. So, as I describe in my book, Power from on High, as I, as I further describe in my book, uh, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, and as I describe in my book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 1 and 2, when you go back to ancient Babylon, you see Nimrod, a god-man, a god-king. Nimrod is a god-king. He, he is a, most likely, he is a genetic hybrid Mixture between the DNA of woman and the DNA of uh, the fallen angels, and he possesses a genius-like intellect with supernatural powers, and therefore Lucifer and the occult priests, the psychics. The remember that back in in the super civilizations of the past, like the legendary Atlantis, like like uh, ancient Egypt, like. Uh, you know, the island of Thule and all these other, under Antarctica and all these other places, um, there was a common philosophical thought stream and orientation that was adopted by the the great Greek philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, and others, and the psychic priests, the supernatural uh, priests of what was called Mystery Babylon and the Mystery Babylon religion, uh, they created a society that was based on tiers or levels, uh, levels of power, based on you, your genetics or your DNA from birth. And so the people were taught that in many, many cultures, there, there existed a, a superior genetic uh, segment of society. Uh, there, there, it was a caste system like in ancient India with the Hindu caste system. And in the Hindu caste system, you are doomed or damned to reincarnate endlessly until you theoretically uh, purify your karma and you become free from the law of sin and death or the wheel of sin and death. So, um, in other words, you have to work out your own salvation with good deeds. Otherwise, you could reincarnate and come back as a mosquito. And even worse, what if you came back as a mosquito that was a genetically a genetic hybrid mosquito invented by the people that Bill Gates is financing, uh, released by the DOD or the Department of Defense? And the the genetic mission of these uh, mosquitoes is that they are designed to be like mini World War II bombers. And these mosquitoes carry a payload. Instead of bombs, the mosquitoes carry uh, the DNA and the genetic payload of one of the most, over 91 different species of malaria and toxic mosquitoes. So there are people who allege that the, the secret globalist elite that is Trying to uh, exercise dictatorial control over planet Earth, uh, that they have deliberately released these mosquitoes to spread uh, a very virulent form of malaria and kill off millions and millions of people, and so they're starting in, in allegedly starting in states like Florida, uh, then down in the Florida Keys, California, and other places. So the question you have to ask yourself is. Eyes wide open. How is it that people like this can make trillions of dollars? How come there can be an open alliance between big pharma, uh, the big food conglomerates, big medicine, uh, the big military-industrial complex, the big computer complexes, uh, the big DNA complexes? There's a there's an integration before behind all these powerful forces, and their, their knowledge uh, began to multiply through radical genetic experimentation in the form of a brand new science that the Rockefellers funded through the Ro- Rockefeller Laboratories uh, on the East Coast of the United States. And these Rockefeller Laboratories. They were primarily devoted to the science of eugenics. The science of eugenics is also known as selective breeding. So what you do is, in the science of eugenics, you manipulate the DNA and the genetic code of whatever species you're you're, you're trying to tinker with. And as you manipulate the DNA through a process called uh, genetic engineering, You you reprogram whatever particular insect, animal, or human being to rise to certain heights. So what you're doing is you're you're literally reprogramming the God-given software in every human being. You're reprogramming human beings through their DNA genetic software, and therefore what they can become whether like gods, whether whether like incompetent, animal-like, and primitive, whatever they can become, whatever heights they can reach, uh, modern genetic scientists understand that it has everything to do with the manipulation and the programming of their DNA code. And so in the late 1800s, or in the mid-1800s, and actually before that, all this genetic experimentation uh, was taking place at the the, the Cold Spring Laboratories uh, in Upper New York State, and um, this also spread to laboratory research in the field of genet- eugenics in um, uh, California, and Adolf Hitler and the Nazi scientists who who fervently believed in a genetically superior master race. Uh, used the science of eugenics and the Rockefeller laboratories and the Rockefeller-financed DNA research to to deliberately uh, through selective breeding, they deliberately uh, genetically engineered uh, a so-called master race. Let's say in horse breeding, a master race in in the breeding of birds. They deliberately experimented. With developing a master race of children and adults that were a combination of specific genetic traits like super intelligence, super memories, super immune system, amazing physical strength, amazing physical height, uh, very clear vision, the absence of mental, psychiatric, uh, or emotional problems. These people genetically. Were balanced, genetically possessed inward strength. And Hitler and the Nazi scientists realized that they could program the DNA of future generations and achieve their goal. So, what was the goal of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis? Well, you need to do a deep dive, and I can help you accelerate the deep dive. You need to get a copy of my book, uh, A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 1 and 2. You need to get a copy of The Greatest Battle, a copy of Power from on High, a copy of Conquering the Matrix, uh, and other books, which teach you in a fast-moving, high-velocity, and yes, entertaining style, the secret scientific plan of the Nazi genetic scientists, the Nazi mind-control scientists, and the Nazi rocket scientists. Now, the Nazis had an entire theology and mythology, which I've spent over 35 years researching. And in this theology and science that the Nazis embrace, the Nazis believed that they were Aryans. uh, uh, Aryans, in the sense of light skinned white people, that he believed were genetically superior. And they uh, according to the Nordic legends and the legends of the the descendants of the Vikings, etc., the the Nazi scientists believe, and Hitler sent out and financed uh, amazing expeditions of high level Nazi super scientists who would travel to the remote heights and secret massive caves of ancient Tibet to meet with. The Tibetan masters, because the Tibetan masters uh, were able to access and utilize uh, high level supernatural powers, scientific powers, and technological powers. In addition, Hitler was aware of the rumors and the legends of all these alleged super civilizations that that were built uh, deep. Deep under the ice of Antarctica, deep under the ice of the North Pole, deep under the ice in in, in in the highest mountains of Tibet, and you have all these legendary super civilizations, and when you look at the archaeological relics of the super civilizations in Tibet and surrounding areas, and you have these famous places, these legendary places like Agathar. Uh, like um, um, all these uh, synonyms for a race of super godmen that came from the stars with high technology UFOs, supernatural, and scientific powers. And they landed in the Nordic Viking regions on planet Earth. They were tall, muscular, very intelligent, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, or light green eyes, very white skin, uh, um, and Hitler and the scientists believed that they were genetically superior because their DNA was extraterrestrial and possibly interterrestrial. So they believed that the the, the supermen, that their DNA came from a hybrid mixture of angels and humans, or fallen angels and humans, and so. Um, This is a pivotal area of truth that that, that is laughed at, dismissed, especially by Christians who who appallingly and rather disgustingly—and I'm not putting down people, I'm putting down a prevailing mindset—what kind of culture is it that promotes and celebrates being uneducated, lacking in scientific knowledge, lacking in power and wisdom? What kind of civilization is it which champions mediocrity? While pagan civilizations, satanic Luciferian civilizations, Hindu civilizations, um, they do not reject these sources of information. They take full advantage of them. So we're going we're gonna to dive into this because when we come out of this, this is essential learning. It is disgraceful to me when I visit these so-called and I'm not putting anybody down please understand me that's not my heart I'm not here to put people down but when I attend these these youth meetings college age meetings young adult meetings adult meetings there is this glaring absence of research and study in how to take the supernatural power of God and 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 mine it, if you will, like you were going to mine for gold or silver or precious jewels, you mine the precious gold of this wisdom, and then you apply it to being an effective ruler, and you mine it to be an effective, more than a conqueror, and to gain knowledge which grants you supernatural power on the level of a of, of god-king. So... What I need you to do, we're going to be back in just a second. I need you to visit paulmaguire.us. That's paulmaguire.us, And this is what I'm asking you to do as your brother in Christ. And I'm simply asking you that I'm going to make an appeal to you that every one of you could fulfill in some way or shape or form. But I'm going to ask that you don't uh, decide exactly what you're going to do until you first offer up a short prayer to Jesus Christ, and ask Jesus how much he wants you to give in terms of a financial contribution or a donation. Um, Ask the Lord how you can help us break the demonic rigging attack on me and the ministry. And the way you do that is you spend a couple of seconds and you sign on to our secure e-blast list. You sign on and become a follower of the Paul McGuire Report Rumble channel, the Brideon channel. We have all these channels, but the numbers of viewers, the numbers of watchers, the numbers of listeners, I know because I'm checking with internal documentation. The enemies of the gospel and the enemies of truth have deliberately manipulated the numbers. They have deliberately falsified the numbers of how many watchers and listeners and viewers we have to our social media channels. They have falsified those numbers because their strategy is a form of psyops or psychological warfare. If they can convince the masses, and especially other Christians, that, well, don't listen to Paul McGuire. You know, he's he's out there somewhere. See, look, there's only, you know, 2,000 or 3,000 people on his rumble page. Well, I just started the rumble page relatively recently. And and what people don't understand is I got kicked off of, uh, Google, uh, for the crime of telling the truth. I want to repeat it again. I got kicked off of Google where I had 34,000, no, 37,000 followers, 37,000 followers from just Google YouTube alone. And I got kicked off because I told the truth about certain matters, not for political purposes, but for moral, spiritual purposes. So, see, if you dare to speak up for what is right and champion what is right, they're going to try to attack, attack you. So what they do is they use their bots. They use artificial intelligence. They go into my social media. They manipulate the numbers. They rig the numbers and this has happened to so many people you know about and respect and follow that they can literally cut your your numbers uh, of watchers and viewers and listeners they can cut it in half or cut it in three quarters or more and then after they cut it by three quarters they can leave it in that bottom level tier position and what that does is that sends out a constant communication That whatever we're doing is not to be taken seriously. Uh, We only appeal to a fringe group. Now, all of that is based on lies, propaganda, manipulation, psychological operations, and things of that nature. You have to understand that this is this is not a game. This is the this is the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world, played out in the United States of America and other places. So. I could name right off the top of my head 20 people that are telling the truth that I respect and I think you probably would respect. They too, because they told the truth, were kicked off various prominent social media channels for the crime of telling the truth. They too have had their numbers rigged and marginalized. I was talking to Doug Hagman about this not not all that long ago. By the way, uh, uh, drop if you liked the, the four-segment show that I did on Hagman. Uh, send Doug a note. Tell him that you were blessed by it. And uh, then we can go on and go on again. Uh, you know, I, I turn down most of my media appearance invitations, and I turn down most of my media stuff. I, I just turn it down. I didn't used to. I, I, I do now. And not because I'm a prima donna. It's simply that um, I want to go on. Somebody of quality, like a Doug Hagman, who's going to ask important questions, and then he's actually going to give me the space to, and not interrupt me, he's going to give me the space to, 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 to educate the audience. That's how we win the spiritual war. But he's been attacked. His numbers have been rigged. And I could go down and down, and I don't want to name all the names of these people. Maybe they don't want to be named. But you see, that attack against Doug, that attack against people like me and many others like me, your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Never, never, ever forget it. That is a direct assault against you, your family, your, your, your children, and your society. When they take psychological warfare efforts to marginalize, demonize us, and make us appear to be irrelevant, what they're doing is they're attacking our message. Okay, so let's an- analyze the question. What is my message? My message is the truth of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. My message is the truth of the Bible and Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation. My message is to cast the biggest net I can to win souls for Jesus Christ. My message is that we don't roll over and play dead, but we stand up, allow God to clothe us with power from on high, and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we take back our nation. My message is to win souls for Jesus Christ. My message is to educate God's people with knowledge, because knowledge will give them power. Okay? I know and you know that that the bullet points of the message that God has called me to give are right on target with the heartbeat of God. I know it and you know it, and the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit in me bears witness to that fact. And the more accurate you are in telling the truth, the more—and I don't want to sound like I'm bragging—the more accurate you are, the more effective you are in communicating the truth. The more people you can change their thinking, the more people you can reach. The more dangerous you become to the Luciferians and the status quo, and because they are threatened by you, they're—they're they're, they're terrified of some of us, because we don't have the the. 50 million dollars that they have to spend on a show. We don't have the, the, the massive technology that they have. We have, you know, basic technology, uh, modest budgets. But even though we have basic technology and modest budgets, we have something they don't have. We have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in God. And just like David, when Goliath was mocking and taunting The armies of God, Uh, David thundered out of his belly, or his inner man, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, clothed with power from on high. David thundered while looking directly into the eyes of Goliath. He thundered at Goliath. How dare you defy the armies of the living God? That is true biblical theology. Hear me now. That is true biblical theology the appropriate theological, biblical, spiritual response by any man of God or woman of God, when the true Church of God is being attacked by the spirit of Antichrist and by the Satanists and the Luciferians and the atheists, when, when they attack us, energized by the spirit of Antichrist, it is not spiritual to be complacent or apathetic or roll over and play dead. In fact, the opposite is true. That is the most egregious sin before God that we can commit, because that apathy spreads to society like a viral plague. That apathy moves from mind to mind, and it accelerates uh, the growth of witchcraft, the growth of Satanism, the, gro- the growth of transhumanism. It accelerates the decline of the church and the growth of witchcraft. It, it, it causes uh, the powers of darkness to to. More easily occupy the land. But God has given us a supernatural power that far exceeds the power that Satan has given the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When my wife and I got married, and this was over 50 years ago, and I've only been married. By the way, this is something you might want to do. The Bible tells you that it is your responsibility as a Christian to evaluate the caliber and quality of Christian spiritual leadership. You're not supposed to just follow any Christian leader. You're you're supposed to follow a Christian leader based on their spiritual, biblical, and moral track record, and on key evaluation points like, uh, does this Christian leader have a good reputation as being a you know intelligent man or woman or a godly man and woman in the community that he lives in is this christian leader a man or a woman is he the faithful husband of one wife or is she the faithful wife of one husband does he manage his financial affairs prudently now, i'm not saying this for the purpose of bragging but i get attacked all the time because I I speak up, and there's an echo chamber effect. Millions of people hear what I am saying, either on a first pass or uh, in a ricochet. And when you examine my life biblically, which you ought to do, first of all, you want to know: Is Paul McGuire preaching sound doctrine? The answer is unequivocally yes. I am preaching sound doctrine, and I have some of the most mature, strongest, and greatest Christian leaders in modern Christianity who were who faithful to the Bible, who are strong endorsers and supporters of my ministry. So that's one building block you can count on. Secondarily, uh, I'm the faithful husband of one wife. I manage my finances well. I have a good reputation in the community that God has put me in. So So if we're going to get legalistic about it, if you Hold Paul McGuire and Paradise Mountain Church uh, International, if you hold it up to biblical accountability and scrutiny, you will see that I match up to uh, all the high standards of accountability and biblical credibility that the Bible demands from its spiritual leaders. So I am not in the place of spiritual leadership because I'm a con man, because I'm a manipulator, because I'm a cult leader or whatever. I am a, God, God raised me up in a position of Christian spiritual leadership because my life is in synchronization with the high standards that God demands out of Christian leaders. And I didn't say that to you for the purpose of bragging at all. I said that to you because most likely you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that. And yet it needs to be said, because anyone who's standing for for the truth has enemies. And the best way to combat your enemies is to combat the lies of your enemies by speaking the truth about your your track record. And so my track record speaks for itself. Now, furthermore, in terms of preaching sound doctrine, I preach sound doctrine. That doesn't mean everybody agrees with my interpretation, but there's a difference between minor disagreements on peripheral issues, and flat-out heresy and apostasy. And I am not an apostate or a heretic. I am a man of God who believes that the Word of God is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. And uh, I am committed to defending the faith and defending the reliability and authority of God's Word. In every area, so whether it's God commenting on the scientific origins of mankind, such as uh, biology, and God denouncing on the basis of scientific facts the heretical teachings of uh, Charles Darwin, yeah, I'm going to stand for what the Bible says, because the Bible's speaking truth, the other stuff is speaking falsehood. So, these are important things when we're navigating in the spiritual battle. And when people try to shortcut uh, these old fashioned principles of accountability and integrity and faithfulness in marriage and faithfulness in business, they only harm the body of Christ and they only harm themselves. Okay, so let's step into this even deeper. But but before we do that, I want you to visit paulmaguire.us. That's paulmaguire.us. Visit paulmaguire.us. You'll see that the books are in. Sequential order. There's something like a 37% financial discount, financial savings. You save big money on the books if you buy them now. And guess what? We, this ministry, will pay for the shipping and rush your book orders to you. And let me, this is not just for the purpose of selling books, but, you, but, but I am telling you, I am absolutely convinced that the reading of books is the most effective download. Of knowledge there is. I am who I am today. The reason I was able to write 46 books, many of them bestsellers, the reason I have written thousands of prestigious magazine articles, conference speeches, uh, the reason I was on Fox News Network as an economic and geopolitical uh, commentator for over 12 years, uh, the reason I had the Paul McGuire show for over 10 years nationally syndicated the reason I'm now doing the Paul McGuire report, it all comes down to credibility, credibility, credibility. I have studied my posterior off. I have memorized the facts. I have analyzed the data and the statistics. So when I get up or debate or make a commentary on the biggest shows on Fox News or in some other powerful platform, I'm not shooting off my mouth, you know, from the middle of nowhere. I am I'm going to the, the highest level think tanks in the world. I am analyzing their data. I am staying up at night and memorizing their data and comparing their data or their results to the, the, the falsified uh, Marxist distorted data that the other side is, 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 is pumping out. And I say this humbly, and I, and I had an epiphany because I forgot his name right now. He's the guy, he was probably one of the best guys on Fox. And they recently fired him for no good reason. You know who he is. I'm just having a mental blank. And it'll come to me probably after the show. You know who he is. Now, in his career, uh, he got fired because he was too good. And I've been in that position too. But I I would say going back 20 years ago, listening to a speech he gave, he was was a top writer and editor for the Heritage Foundation, uh, a highly respected respected conservative think tank. Now, at that same time period, oh Tucker Carlson. At that same t- time period, Tucker Carlson uh, was a complete unknown. I mean, we're all unknown, so that's not a put down. So at the same time, he was a complete unknown. Yet he was an editor uh, and a journalist and a researcher for uh, the Heritage Foundation. Um, Whenever I would do a high-powered debate with some of the biggest people on the left, the presidents of massive banks, the the heads of uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, I, I, I debated the heavy hitters. And many times you would see the set, and there would be five screens. In each square of a screen, there would be a different media personality. One would be me, one would be somebody like Tammy Bruce or whatever. And what would inevitably happen was they would ignite the debate, and I realized quickly that they weren't going to give me a word in edgewise. So I asserted myself through willpower, uh, a sparkle in my eye, and I remember hearing the, exe- the top executives of Fox News laughing their heads off Because this one guy from New York City, Paul McGuire, the host of the nationally syndicated radio talk show host, The Paul McGuire Show, he is literally fencing as if he had a sword with four different journalists at the same time appearing on other screens. And yet, even though it's four to one, I am decimating the opposition and winning the debate. Why? How? Because I'm smarter? No. Because I tried harder. And because I memorized the talking points. I stayed up all night the night before because, you know, like the old Avis commercial, I knew that I was the new boy on the back of a block. So I had to prove myself. It wasn't going to be respect was not going to be just given to me automatically. I had to prove myself. So I, well, they partied and slept and, you know, came into work in their limousines. I would stay up all night. Then I, you know, I won't get into the, the thing, but I'd take two trains to travel from northern Los Angeles County to the radio studio in, in Orange County where uh, John Wayne Airport is. And then a limo, or I'd have a limo, a limo would pick, a Fox limo would pick me up there or a Fox limo would put me up at the Fox Studios in uh, kind of near Studio City where O'Reilly had his West Coast set and stuff. And And the point is, Debate after debate, the the Fox people were roaring in laughter because I was funny, I was entertaining, and I was destroying the arguments of their opposition, some who were on the left and some who were on the right. And the only reason I was destroying their arguments is I paid the price. I memorized the facts. I had to prove something. See, they, they had nothing to prove. They were already big shots. I was the new guy on the block, so I had to try 10 times harder, and I did. And I remember when I would walk through the, the hallways of Fox in, in New York City at their main headquarters and other places, there would be this holy hush as I would walk by, because they'd look at me, and, and, and I could see the jealousy on the, on the faces of a lot of the people. They would look at me, and, and, and I could hear what they were thinking. How does this guy, who apparently comes out of the middle of nowhere, rise up and defeat us? And he knows our, our talking points better than we do. And the answer is, I had to. I was forced to. So I memorized the talking points. And as such, I won every single debate except my very first debate. In my very first debate, I was a little cocky. So I didn't study and tape previous debates of my liberal opponent. That was pride on my part. And it, it almost cost me. So, I debated him live on national television on Fox. And he was a good debater, but he was lazy too. He didn't really know his facts for that day. So, we were debating, and uh, I had studied to some degree his techniques. And to be, to cut to the chase, in the debate, in my recitation of the facts, which I fired off like machine gun bullets and that impressed the producers in the audience, um, the, the sum total of, of my debate style was that I crushed him. I crushed him. And, that, and that, so I would say that was a tie. But I learned my lesson. Every single debate I had after the one that that was a tie, I made sure I studied the techniques of my opponent beforehand. I made sure I studied the facts from the think tanks. And when I walked on camera, I was loaded for bear and I never lost a debate ever, whether it was liberals, no matter how big they were, or conservatives, no matter how big they were, I never lost a debate from that moment forward. Because I knew I had to work harder. Okay, the point of this is not to boast. The point of this is to say that when you're Trump, when you're dedicated to making changes for the kingdom of God, when you're dedicated for to influencing your nation for Jesus Christ, And a biblical worldview, you cannot take the sleazy shortcuts that many Christians graduate towards. Uh, They're looking for a sneaky shortcut that will allow them to win the debates, but at the same time, not have to pay the price of studying and memorization and comprehension and analysis of the subject matter. You know, people can tell when you're up there debating on any particular subject. And if you've spent the last week or two or five days immersing yourself in any given topic, and the, the, the statistics, the, the numbers of people, the economic facts, the immigration facts, the historical facts, when they just exude out of you naturally, you're not having to put on a little show, it just, it just flows, flows out of you naturally. People inevitably realize by your willingness to discipline yourself and your expertise, they come to the conclusion, you don't have to manipulate it, they come to the conclusion that you are a force to be contented with, and that you and then they begin to invite you only to their highest level debates and interviews. So that's how you change the culture. Okay, so these are the dynamics which occur in in, in the real world. And uh, the other thing is that um, I learned that certain of my liberal radical leftists, it was easy for me to take down the radical leftist, radical uh, Marxist, communist uh, ideologues. It was easy for me to take them down because I used to be a radical leftist, radical counterculture guy. And so I would simply, in 60 seconds, bullet point, I'd fire off a bullet point authentication of my credibility within the, the sacred circles of radical politics, uh, radical celebrities, best-selling authors, big-time radical politicians, uh, activists like Abby Hoffman and the original Black Panther Party, and the best-selling novelist and author Norman Mailer and and all kinds of people. I was well-versed in all this stuff. And so I remember de- debating with this uh, female African-American activist, and she her strategy was to try to uh, portray me and dismiss me as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, which I am, you know, kind of white bigot who knows absolutely nothing about the African-American culture. The only problem with her strategy, it was based on a fundamental delusion about who I really was. Because you see, she, I, I just simply in the debate, I had to shut her up because she was like nonstop talking. It wasn't racist on my part. I just had to get a word in edgeways. edgeways. So I said to her, I told her the truth and let the chips fall where they may. I, say, I said, you know, it, it might be interesting for you to know that when I was 15 years old, uh, I was expressing solidarity and, uh, and uh, political unity with the leaders of the original Black Panther Party that was headquartered in Queens in New York City. And I said they would not, even though I was 15, they would not allow me to become an original member of the Black Panther Party because I was white. And the rule said you can't let a white man be a full-fledged member of the Black Panther Party. But he could see my enthusiasm and dedication, and he said, "But we're going to make—I'm going to make an exception in your place, and I'm going to uh, allow you to become." And I was very honored, by the way. I'm going to allow you to become a a part-time member of the Black Panther Party because you know the history of the Black Panther Party better than most of the people here in this building. You were at many important demonstrations with Abby Hoffman, Elridge Cleaver and uh, the former president of the Black Panther Party. And so I'm going to make you an honorary member of the Black Panther Party. Now, I told that story in Fox News Network. This blew Cavuto out of his seat because he had never seen that side of me before. It also blew, uh, what's his name, who's no longer there, uh, O'Reilly out of his seat because O'Reilly had never seen that part of me before. They had seen Paul McGuire, the take no prisoners, intellectual, Conservative, nationally syndicated radio talk show host—a kind of Bill Buckley on on acid—a mixture of traditional intellectualism and philosophy with uh, the high-powered transformation of of our culture. So, so she tried to to lie and say that I made the whole thing up. But when I rattled off twenty names of the leaders of the Black Panther Party in the 60s and the 70s, when I rattled off the the names of their best-selling books and key demonstrations that I attended uh, through the instruction of radical activist Abby Hoffman, she looked at me as if she saw a white ghost and she shut up because she realized that, whoa, this guy is not full of it. He really did, at 15 years old, uh, become part of the Black Panther Party. And so it was obvious to all the people at Fox in the studio, too, that I was the real deal and not a fraud. And so this went on for, I don't know, 12 years. And they would throw—I quickly gained a reputation as an undefeatable, fiery debater who would would utilize a combination of humor, satire, intellectualism, robust— Uh, Debate debate techniques, historical references, uh, deep uh, political historical references. And so whenever I would get on uh, in the studio with the big shots, I would win the debate. The only time I would not win a debate was the few times when I was invited. Now, this was back, by the way, before the woke culture and the collective insanity infected the, the, the news media. So I remember uh, uh, debating. You know, I would debate presidents, prime ministers, vice presidents, big, big name economists, uh, people on the level of Brzezinski. I would debate uh, the world's leading economists, uh, and you know, I pick and chose my battles, and I treated people with respect. But I uh, carved out a reputation for myself which was uh, I was not some predictable cookie-cutter evangelical Christian radio commentator. I was not a cookie-cutter, you know, uh, one-size-fits-all Christian radio commentator. I was an eclectic mix of what appeared to be totally divergent, totally opposite, and completely out of the box in my debate style, in my knowledge style, and in everything else. And so I quickly developed a reputation around Fox. This was the reputation. Every time I got on Fox News Network or Fox Business Network to debate, I would always win the debates in a satirical, flamboyant, and uh, entertaining way. And that spread around the corridors of Fox. And so all the guys who hosted the big shot shows they wanted me on the show because when I came on their shows, uh, the, the net result was is that I substantially boosted their ratings. They got more viewers. And then, I didn't know this at the time, but they secretly wanted to be attacked by all the liberal uh, uh, Internet hit job organizations and all the liberal activist groups. And I would engage these people in, like, intellectual hand-to-hand combat and bring them down. So that's how you plow through. That's how you take the land. That's how you take the territory. And there's no shortcut. You've got to study your posterior off. You have to be willing to memorize. And you've got to repeat, 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 so that when your opponent is throwing contradictory or apparently contradictory facts at you, you're armed and dangerous from an economic, philosophical, social, and geopolitical point of view. And that was my reputation. And so when you would walk around Fox and you saw quite often, there would be a large television screen and there would be four boxes or three boxes or five boxes. Inevitably, Paul McGuire would be in one of those boxes and I would be faced off to fight three other people in three boxes or four other people in four boxes or five other people in five boxes. But I always won. And that's the point. I always won. And when I would rub up against some uh, Christian and evangelical oriented speakers, I, I really, you know, I was caught between a rock and a hard place because I really didn't want to increase my career at their expense. I really didn't want to. But at the same time, I had a responsibility because we were thrown into an environment where we were opposing ideology, ideologically, we were opposing uh, some pretty corrupt philosophical worldviews. And so I, I decided I'm not going to be willing to be defeated, to be humiliated, and to be destroyed because my fellow conservative isn't really doing their homework, or to be blunt, they're afraid to pull the trigger. All right, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Visit PaulMcGuire.us. That's PaulMcGuire.us. We'll be back in just a moment. You are now listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. We are, again, I say this, but it it will be said endlessly because it is an imperative truth to own. We are now in deep into the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world. This battle is apocalyptic. It fits very much uh, into the time sequence of the last days, the second coming of Jesus Christ the Battle of Armageddon, uh, the rise of the Antichrist, the rise of the false prophet, and the true conspiracy versus the false conspiracies, the true Luciferian and satanic conspiracy where the fallen angels and Lucifer and those men and women who sold their souls to Lucifer, uh, they have uh, chosen to reject the Word of God, and then they have chosen to publicly and ceremonially, they have publicly chosen to worship uh, the Antichrist as God, and they have publicly chosen not only to worship the Antichrist as God, but they have publicly chosen to receive a a wireless technological device known as a neural implant, a microchip implant, a biochip implant, and a variety of other implants. These are microscopic, they're smaller than the the old RFID uh, chips or or tubes, and they have the power to broadcast via satellite all over the world, and they have the power to function, uh, to turn the human body and brain into a powerful electromagnetic frequency radio broadcaster, and to turn the human body into a powerful Electromagnetic frequency uh, radio receiver that can be hooked up among every single individual on planet Earth. And everybody, through wireless technology, can be plugged directly into what the great science fiction writer, Fabian Socialist, high level Freemason, and and militant promoter of the New World Order, uh, science fiction author H.G. Wells, wrote about. Uh, in his books like Invaders from Mars and his his treatise on the New World Order. He and the, the the English kings and queens were spending trillions of dollars of their unlimited fortune to, to bring about a new world order on planet Earth. And it would be a new world order based on the principles of Luciferianism, based on the principles of the great Satanist Alistair Crowley, and Alistair Crowley, the great Satanist, uh, he called for the dawn of a new age. He called for the dawn of the new aeon, or eon, that's A-E-O-N. And in this new aeon, or new eon, it would be the birth of, of a new age for mankind, as in new age movement. It would be the birth of uh, a, a Luciferian regime. Uh, it would be the birth and release of a Luciferian regime and the science of transhumanism, where mankind would use science, technology, and engineering to to self-evolve their DNA into allowing men and women to become god-men or god-women that could live uh, a very long time in terms of genetic longevity or... Uh, uh, energetic uh, longevity or a supercharged immune system. Now, you know, I was raised in a militant atheist, secular humanist house, transhumanist house. I was a radical in the counterculture. At a, in third grade, I read Brave New World. It formulated my, my game plan for life. Brave New World by Huxley was the same book that gave the, the second in command of uh, the World Economic Forum. Uh, his vision for a utopian future, because he read also in third grade Huxley's book, Brave New World. And so in Brave New World, the, the, the dictatorship was a scientific dictatorship. The people were specifically bred genetically by manipulating their DNA. They were specifically bred genetically to, to function at specific levels in society. Starting with the low level, moving slowly up to higher and higher levels. So this this occultic economic slave system, uh, known as the case system, was a, was a demonic occultic integration of of the worst of American pseudo Christian slavery, integrated and blended with uh, a hierarchy of power, control, and wealth, where you're born into a particular caste or a particular hierarchy or a particular uh, economic uh, uh, class. And you cannot get out of it, except in very few circumstances. So uh, once you're born into one of these classes, it's like a, a slave system. Now the Huxleys were very upper, upper class. They were ruling royal class. But you see, the deception that always goes along with this uh, Huxleyan uh, caste system vision. Remember, all satanic systems, all Luciferian systems, without exception, operate on the basis of pure power minus pure agape spiritual love. So in every societal equation created by the Luciferian elite, it always comes down to the architecture of a, a, a cult pyramidical structure which symbolizes the platforms, the caste system, and the specific levels of power and wealth and knowledge and DNA that different individuals have. And then, if they have the privilege of, of being birthed into that kind of environment, they become the rulers, the kings and queens. Of the ancient Hindu Empire and the ancient Indian Empire. And make no mistake about it, the ancient Indian Empire, the ancient human empire, uh, they had sophisticated technology. They knew how to manipulate genetics. They built primitive submarines. They built primitive airplanes. And you may think, oh, that's crazy. There's no way it could happen. Let me tell you something. I've done the homework, I've done the research, I've done the studying. Yes, these god kings of ancient India and the Hindus. Uh, were very much involved with very high-level futuristic science and technology, just like the uh, uh, men and women of uh, Atlantis were able to accomplish a similar thing, just like the men and women of uh, ancient Egypt were able to build up the pharaoh god-king system. And then you see the mighty occultic Egyptian empire, It begins to send its sailing ships and its trading ships all the way up around Canada. It begins to send in their sailing ships on the rivers, you know, like the Mississippi River and other places. And you see, then you begin to see that hidden among Indian culture, American culture, and British culture, you begin to see the archaeological evidence of these ancient super civilizations, like the existence of the nine feet skeletal remains that came from sacrificing human babies on Jekyll Island by Rockefeller and other members of the the satanic Luciferian elite as an exchange to open the portals of power. Remember that the uh, uh, the, the, uh, Tower of Babel also integrated the high-level portals of power. So, Nimrod was the head of the, the ancient uh, pyramidical Tower of Babel. But when you translate the term Tower of Babel, or Babel, uh, that comes from the babbling language, when God confused their language. But also, the word, the Tower of Babel, or Babel, is translated as a science fiction-like, highly advanced technologically and highly advanced scientifically, um, part of the Tower of Babel was that it provided powerful interdimensional portals that allowed um, high-level angelic beings, uh, fallen angels, interdimensional entities to move Outside of time and space to move through multiple dimensions, and travel through the portals that uh, the ancient Tower of Babel provided to the human race. I mean, these people were sophisticated, and the same is true when you go back to uh, Mount Hermon, and you see that over a hundred—it was either a hundred or two hundred—of the fallen angels descended upon Mount Hermon. Now, when you fly into Israel. You'll see as you're flying in this massive snow-covered mountain over to the left, known as Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is allegedly where uh, the uh, where Noah settled his ark with all the animals. But Mount Hermon, especially at the higher elevation, the fallen angels, the Rephium and the Nephilim, uh, they possessed highly advanced science fiction-like and highly advanced. Um, technology uh, that the fallen angels gave to human women, gave to human men. In other words, the fallen angels gave to human men and human women an entire spectrum of highly advanced scientific uh, technology. They gave to human women and human men uh, highly advanced science fiction-like uh, agricultural technology DNA genetic technology uh, they taught human women the artistry of of how to enhance their beauty and and attractiveness towards men by the the high level artistry of painting their faces with subtle but specific colors and then they one of the fallen angels they were the creator of what was called the tubular bells, which is, was actually a rock group in the 60s. Tubular bells used these metallic bells as an instrument to, to play certain vibrations of music. Now, these fallen angels, looked; upon, they, they descended upon Mount Hermon, they looked upon human women with sexual lust, so they decided they want to marry human women, so that once they married the human women, They would be legally and spiritually entitled to become one with them in terms of physical intimacy. And so the fallen angels mated with human women, even though they were considerably taller, and even though the fallen angels had a DNA and a uh, genetic code that was completely non-human. The fallen angels possessed completely non-human DNA. And so they looked upon the the beautiful human females with lust. The fallen angels mated with the human females. The human females were impregnated and gave birth to countless numbers of uh, genetic hybrids, which were a mixture of human DNA and um, fallen angel DNA and various rankings of fallen angels. Now, on top of that, these fallen angels. The Rephaim, the Nephilim, that entire super civilization, they had a highly advanced knowledge of science, technology, engineering, genetics, DNA, warfare. Most commonly the men that were the Rephaim and the Nephilim, they were like warrior giants. They could be like twenty feet high. They were formidable. And they populated the earth and they subdued it. Now, the, the, the critical warning here. Now I talk about all of this in detail in my books which are you can read them in any order you want but my books basically condense in a high voltage power packed attention grabbing manner my books take you on a rocket ride through science the supernatural power of god through demonic and angelic warfare and all kinds of things my books take you on a rocket ride and it will forever change your life and it will equip you to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So this is what we have to understand. The Christian community, the conservative community, keeps bumping its head into the artificial ceiling of low-level consciousness that this present world system programs its inhabitants to live in. Are you tracking with me? This is critical. The way we defeat Lucifer and Satan and the fallen angels before the return of Jesus Christ, the way we defeat them is that we must learn how to possess, acquire, and master the superior knowledge of the Word of God, which places us in a position of victory, a position of military superiority on the spiritual battlefields. So, what's happening in our time is that all of these biblical truths that began to explode into the consciousness of mankind in places like the Garden of Eden and uh, planet Earth. One of the first things that happens is that Lucifer, a fallen angel, seduces by using the wiles of the devil. He seduces Eve, and he gets Adam and Eve to reject the Word of God and to mate together, human DNA mating with uh, non-human DNA. And when Adam and Eve break that fundamental genetic law of God, they sever from themselves, they break off from themselves their direct connection to their eternal power source, the supernatural power from God, power from on high, the dunamis or the dynamite explosive power of God. There is no set of words. There is no set of measurements in terms of physics or or energy quotients or anything of that nature that can even come close to analyzing for you and I the enormous impact, power, and energy that is released when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords decides to morph or transform himself to win Highly victorious spiritual battles in the physical realm. Okay, you need to grasp that, and you need to own it. So we're in a time period where the transhumanists, like like Aldous Huxley, like uh, the other Huxley brother, who was the father of transhumanism, we are in a period with the United Nations, with UNESCO, with sex change operations, with genetic engineering, and this massive convergence. Of science fiction like knowledge, we are literally in the place of experience, what only can be described as an exponential acceleration of the knowledge of supernatural power, as in the dunamis, the dynamite power of God, as in a deep understanding of the multi dimensional meaning of the Word of God. And then in other areas, such as the fact, the historical fact that the Rephium and the Nephilim, uh, which were species that were the product of a hybrid breeding between fallen angels and human women. And so when you mix the DNA of fallen angels and human women, you come out with a hybrid race. But that hybrid race cannot be categorized as 100% authentically human. It is is—it's hybrid. It's it's distorted. Now, this is critical when when it comes to the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world, one of my new books. It's critical because God goes out of his way to tell us that only people that are 100% authentic, Human beings, in terms of their DNA and their genetic code, a person has to be 100% human in their DNA and genetic code. And God furthermore goes on to say that if a person or any being is the product of of a hybrid species mixture of human and non human DNA, then they do not possess 100% authentic DNA. They have a hybrid mixture of DNA. Now, why this is important, because God in his word states emphatically that it is impossible, according to the law of God, it is totally impossible for any fallen angel to mate with uh, a human female or a human male. If you mate with a human female or a human male, and that would mean you have become a Nephilim or a Rephium, you do not have 100% pure DNA. You have a hybrid mixture. Now, because technically, and according to the law of God, you are not truly 100% a human being in your DNA, that means, according to the law of God, that you are disqualified from entering the kingdom of heaven, because the kingdom of heaven and the doors to the kingdom of heaven are only open and available to those men and women who are the possessors of 100% pure DNA and 100% pure human genetic coding. So, when God offered salvation to mankind, notice that God did not offer salvation at all to the fallen angels. God did not offer salvation at all to anyone in the animal kingdom at all. The only entities or species that God offers salvation to exists in the species of uh, human beings that have managed to retain and preserve their 100% pure DNA. Because only those beings that have 100% pure DNA are able to acquire eternal salvation by faith And it's only those people with 100% pure DNA who are also able to acquire, by faith, um, total forgiveness of their sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only those people who have the spiritual power, right authority, and capacity to um, receive forgiveness of sins by faith in the blood of Jesus. And it's only those people that can. By faith, invite Christ into their life, receive forgiveness of sins, and then by inviting Christ into their lives, they are able to be born again by faith. Their sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and then when Christ steps into their hearts, makes them born again by the Spirit of God, they will live for all eternity because they're born again and regenerated by the Spirit of God. That's very, very powerful. And that shows you the high priority. Of the spiritual warfare. Now, I want to wrap up with this. You need to, to. I need you to partner with me as never before. We're moving into books. We're moving into films. We're moving into video. We're moving into expanding our television. We're moving into many different areas. However, um, I'm only one person with X amount of energy. Okay, I can only physically accomplish so much in in a day and I would have to confess to you a sin, really, is that is, I over the years of my life, I've allowed myself to be seduced by my pride into thinking I was like a kind of spiritual, intellectual Superman, and I would just go to the Lord, Lord, pile it on. I, I can do it all. I can do it all. Well, guess what? That is a very subtle form of pride. It's a, it's a very subtle form of temptation. The fact of the matter is, I was being deceived by my pride. I was being deceived by a lie. And no, I could not. I was not Superman. I was not a transhuman, a transhumanist being. I wasn't a God-man. And I only had X amount of energy, X amount of strength, X amount of willpower that I could use per day. And then I would burn out, and like everybody else, I would need to rest. But here's my confession of sin to you and I hope some of you learn from it. Many of you, like me, were born and blessed with an incredible amount of natural energy. Well, that's good, but it's also seductive. You assume, because you were born with this incredible amount of energy, that that flow of supernatural energy will never end in your life. You can always count on, like, a Niagara Falls of of the rivers of living water to flow out of your inmost being, saturating you with supernatural energy, and that's just not true. So, um, you know, I was jumping on jets and airplanes, flying all over the country, flying all over the world, not sleeping all night. I'd jump on a plane from LAX to to Paris, and then I'd speak to 50,000 people in Paris, or I'd I'd jump on a jet to uh, Malaysia. In the city of Kuala Lumpur to teach, like this large seminar of pastors, where about seven thousand five hundred pastors and then all their wives and their assistant pastors would come hear me teach and minister uh, at, a, at a at a big American hotel and auditorium in downtown Kuala Lumpur. And then you know I don't always do this, but but they demanded, and they were they the, my, the host warned me said you know if you don't pray for them personally, and I have no problem doing that, if you don't lay hands on them personally, he said, you are going to hurt them, and they are going to be deeply offended. And and he was saying, you need to be wise and understand that, that they are operating according to their culture, not American culture. And so what do you explain? See, when I went to speak in Kuala Lumpur, I had massive, massive crowds. Do you know why? Because in Kuala Lumpur, The people of Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia do not know the difference between regular Paul McGuire and a superstar evangelist like Billy Graham. In the eyes and ears of the people of Kuala Lumpur, Billy Graham and Paul McGuire are equal, they're equivalent. Whereas in the United States, Billy Graham or Franklin Graham, you know, these are considered big, big time super evangelists, and they're placed on a giant pedestal of power. Well, a great equalizer occurs. When you go to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, nobody knows who Billy Graham is. Nobody knows who any of these Christian ministers are. They didn't even know who I was except for the promotion. And so they are paying attention to you and your message and your spirituality. They have a hunger uh, from God to be ministered uh, by you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in childlike innocence, they perceive you, or they perceive me. They perceived me as if I was of the same spiritual stature of Billy Graham. And so, the idea is not to get drunk on power. The idea is to not um, uh, damage, or, or or trample upon, or abuse that awesome childlike trust and faith they have in you, because they're. Many of them are traveling from other nations, like Indonesia and, and China and stuff. And the vast majority of the pastors, they were from all over the place. And they, um, I mean, they they knew that they knew about Jack haverd They knew I was with Jack haverd's ministry for 25 years. They knew I wrote about four or five books uh, for Jack Haverd. They knew I wrote uh, the study notes and Greek and Hebrew and Latin translations. For the Spirit-filled Life Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and they had read about me in Charisma magazine and stuff like that. So, so they were very excited and very honored to have me there, and I did not want to violate that trust. So, after I finished speaking, there were about 2,500, 3,000 people. Uh, they were standing in lines, and my host uh, said. They want you to pray for them. Every one of them want you to pray for them. Now, I I believe in, in praying. I believe in the power of God flowing through me or somebody else into somebody else's life. I believe in that. I also know for a fact that there's a certain kind of an addictive celebrity mechanism that can happen in such environments. Uh, I'm not saying it was happening in this environment where people just, they, they want to get up to be prayed for because they want to experience the high, the drug-like high of being slain in the Spirit. Now, I'm not against people receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, don't get me wrong, but I don't think it should be turned into a, a private, inclusive, uh, charismatic spiritual circus where where the entire goal is to get zapped by the Holy Spirit and fall out under the power of God. That's not enough. There has to be true discipleship. There has to be true repentance of sin. There has to be true growth in God's Word. And all these other very important heavy-duty spiritual warfare growth factors must be cultivated, I think, you get my point. Okay, so, I don't know, there's, what did I say, 1,500, 2,500, I have no idea, 3,000. It was a lot of people. And they're all there. And I noticed there's only a couple of pastors, thank God for them, because, because they were going to come with me. And so, you know, I claimed God's power by faith, and I began to slowly move down the rows of ministers and their wives and their families in the giant auditorium, and I would lay hands on their foreheads or their heads. I, I Many times, I would deliberately and strategically never touch people, so nobody could accuse me of pushing the person I was praying for which I think is disgusting, because I have a policy. I do not push, shove, or manipulate people into being, quote, slain in the spirit. So as I'm moving down the row, row after row, I'm either not touching the people's foreheads at all, so nobody can accuse me of pushing, or I am just ever so gently placing my hand or their forehead or the top of their head. And it is plain for all to see that I'm not pushing, I'm not shoving, I'm not trying to manipulate them into into being what charismatics refer to as being slain in the spirit. So I made the decision. These people are starving for the power of God. They're starving for deliverance. They're starving for salvation. They are in a militant Muslim country. I was warned that the chauffeur they sent to me in the morning for security reasons, that he might try to entrap me in getting me to preach the gospel to him. And, and my Christian host said, if he succeeds in doing this, they're going to throw you in jail, and, and you will be threatened with the death penalty. And that sobered me up real quick. So I began to pray for the people. And as I prayed for the people, I realized I had a duty before God to be a vessel of God, transmitting the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, salvation, and deliverance to everybody who came forward to prayer. And it was my sacred responsibility not to manipulate them in any way, shape, or form, but to be an obedient servant of Jesus Christ, and I emphasize servant. So I just calmly went down the rows of people, and as you obey God, you know, it's interesting, the joy of the Lord begins to bubble up from within you, and then the anointing of the Holy Spirit began to grow stronger and stronger and stronger in me, so that as I touched people gently, or I would hold their hands gently, this was all before the covid I would hold people's hands gently. I would put my hand on them ever so gently. I would not manipulate in any way. But the power of God kept increasing. So what would happen is I would raise my palm over their forehead, and my palm and hand were about three inches away from their forehead. The moment I raised up my hand, I would say something quietly and non-emotionally because I did not want to psychologically manipulate what should be legitimate Christian ministry. So as I held up my fingers and I held up my palm, I would begin to pray and I would say something like, Father, in the name of Jesus, I command the power of the Holy Spirit to fill my brother and sister now in Jesus' name. And I would not even be able to finish that kind of prayer where I literally could feel like, like a massive electrical charge, but it was like quiet. It was like a quiet, massive electrical charge or a quiet, uh, uh, massive uh, lightning bolt. Again, quiet and peaceful. Okay? And the velocity and the force of this powerful electrical charge and this powerful, uh, like, lightning bolt of energy. And the specific energy it was, it was the power of the Holy Spirit, and it was the dunamis dynamite power of God, the dunamis explosive power of God. So as I moved down the rows, it was effortless for me. Now, I I prayed for hundreds, and every time I would simply come near them, uh, and I wasn't seeking this out, and I wasn't exploiting it, and I wasn't manipulating it, and I wasn't trying to bring glory to myself, Um, I could feel the power of God surge out of me into their body, into their mind, and they would begin to say things without my prompting, like that they were healed physically. One lady, a pastor's wife, had some head or uh, shoulder injury, and she was really injured. And just being in the presence of the auditorium, power of God hit her, and her shoulder and and, and physical body was completely healed. And she stood up and gave short testimony and began to praise God for her healing because this was authentic stuff. So I keep praying, and I would keep seeing manifestations of the power of God. Some people would be bound from spirits of alcoholism and drugs. You could see those spirits being dislodged, broken, and removed. In other cases, I would look at somebody, and I would look in their eyes, and I don't know, know, I'm assuming they're not saved, but I look in their eyes and I see that they are, in a sense, possessed and dominated by an evil spirit or evil spirits that have something to do with their occult-based ancient religion and have something to do with drugs, sins, sin, and years of, of fighting God. So, you know, about an hour later, I had prayed for thousands of people, and you could see the joy in the faces of the pastors. They were starving to be touched with God. You could see the joy in the faces of the pastors. You could, you could sense the rivers of living water flowing out of their inmost being. You could sense a mighty spirit of rejoicing among the people in Kuala Lumpur, and then I remembered I was asked for I was asked to pray for the Prime Minister of Kuala Lumpur, who I knew was a very strong and devout Muslim, and I knew that Paul, this prayer, Betty, better be wise, or you're going to step on your own hand grenade, and you're going to end up in a jail. Because when you fly into Kuala Lumpur, there are gigantic signs in Muslim and English, would say, if we catch you with drugs, we're going to throw you in jail, and the penalty is the death penalty. Then other giant signs would say, uh, you know, welcome to Malaysia. Um, You're free to enjoy yourself. However, something to the effect of you need to uh, respect our religion. If you are caught trying to convert uh, uh, anyone from the Muslim religion to the Christian religion." then you will be arrested, sent to prison, and the sentence is the death penalty. I mean, that's sobering so So all these people came forward for the prayer, and I felt very led by the spirit of God that I was to I knew there were hundreds of spies from the government embedded in the giant auditorium spying on us spying on us, wanting to make sure that we were trying not to do a sneak attack against Islam or violate the law. There was no question that we were. Infiltrated and government spies were there to check up on us. So, I I felt pushed by the Holy Spirit to pray for the Prime Minister and the head of uh, Kulu, uh, uh, Malaysia, which, by the way, was just ripping into a, a global economic financial crisis engineered by the globalist elite. And so, what I how I prayed for him, and I believe this was wisdom, is I had all the pastors gather in prayer. We prayed for the Prime Minister of, of uh, Malaysia out loud. We asked God to supernaturally bless the Prime Minister of Malaysia. We asked God to supernaturally prosper Malaysia financially and in all its business dealings and in all its international commerce. We prayed that God's angels, God's wisdom, God's supernatural power would anoint and strengthen the head of of Malaysia in the name of Jesus. Now, uh, there was a certain amount of risk in that prayer, but the the intention of the prayer was to be a Christian calling upon blessing uh, over the head of Malaysia so that when God miraculously delivers that blessing, an open door is created for the preaching of the gospel. And so then I visited many other churches and... uh, I just, I just saw these miracles occur. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that no matter where you are in your ministry or your faith, if you will simply take those little itsy-bitsy baby steps of faith, God will back you up with the dunamis dynamite power of God, the supernatural power of God. And he did that when I was in Malaysia, the anointing of the Holy And, ironically, I would—I mean, I, I'd never been to Malaysia before. I was in the middle of nowhere. But I would be running from one meeting to another, organized by a pretty large group. At the same time, there was a well-known Southern California pastor that I know and I respect, and that's Dr. and Pastor On of Harvest Church. And it seems like I would get to one meeting, and I was told, well, Cheon was here. He was ministering just five (laughs) minutes ago. And this happened about six times. I would arrive at a meeting. I would arrive at a large so-called underground church. Cheon would be ministering and he has a tremendous ministry in signs and wonders and uh but I would miss him but that didn't really matter because I believe he knew and I knew that God both sent us individually to Malaysia at this time to ignite revival because I don't think either of us fully knew at the time that we flew into Malaysia that Malaysia was literally in the, in its biggest financial crisis probably in the last thousand years. And that financial crisis in Malaysia was orchestrated and contrived by the globalist elite, the Council on Foreign Relations, the international bankers. And it was interesting, after I prayed for the head of Malaysia, he made public statements in the national media accusing the international banking families, accusing the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, and the World Economic Forum and all these other global financial institutions, he was accusing all of them of rigging uh, uh, the, the international banks, rigging the interest rates, and and manipulating the financial system in both America, Europe, and Malaysia. He was accusing them of manipulating their financial systems so that that they so so that the Americans could enjoy an illegal or unethical. Economic superiority. So I want to close off with that statement. I want to say to you, as your brother in Christ, nothing is impossible with God. You need to prepare. You need to be studied. You need to be diligent. You don't have to be perfect. You can ask God for forgiveness. God will grow you. God will sanctify you, and slowly God will raise you up. And not only that, He'll raise you up in front of your enemies, and that's that's an incredible thing. So I want to encourage you, and I want to pray for you right now. I need where I am in the middle of the battle. Many are are in the middle of the battle with me. Um, thank you, by the way. So many of you heard the Lord and wrote out a check or donated safely online, and that really helped us financially. We still have more of a ways to go, but you. I want to thank you for your obedience and contributions and donations. Really, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Okay, so we're organizing. We have to upgrade our electronic equipment. We have to upgrade our tech equipment. We have to uh, be able to hire uh, uh, volunteers. Uh, We need to redo our uh, Paradise Mountain Church meetings. And we need, in in a a time of people walking around in circles, we need to aggressively move forward there there is a lack of leadership there is a malaise in the spiritual atmosphere of america so i'm telling you this as your brother in christ i believe with all my heart that the lord has supernaturally quickened in my inner man god has infused into me a supernatural revelation and a supernatural insight regarding precisely what to do in a strategic manner in order to turn the tide of the spiritual battle and ignite a biblical third great awakening, and ignite a biblical uh, revival, now is the time to do it. And I want to say this with all my heart. not nine months from now, not in the next election, now at this mo- now is the time to do it. I everything in me hears the voice of the Lord saying, "Now is the time to do it. Step out on faith, seek his face for, for wisdom, move in his wisdom. But now is the time to move forward. There are structures in the invisible realm in America and around the world that, at this present moment, are operating in extreme fragility. They are they are fragmented social structures. That means they they are weakened. They they cannot withstand enormous geopolitical and spiritual pressure, and there are. Some of these which contain contain walls, and they contain strongholds where the demonic powers and the wicked are hoarding the resources and the technological open doors that God's people need at this very moment to conquer and occupy the land. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you listen carefully to the Holy Spirit right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you as he's speaking to me. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you about your personal situation, as he is mine, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about the strategic situation. And so, again, this is what you would call, in terms of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in terms of operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and in terms of operating in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is telling me with that still, small voice that strategically, And from the perspective of spiritual warfare, now is the time to strike the serpent of old. Now is the time to strike the principalities and powers. Now is the time to strike to break the oppression of organized demonic powers. Now is the time to move forward, strike, destroy, and crush the advances of the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. And I mean that with 100% certainty. I mean that as the anointing of the Spirit of God is being spoken from my inner man. And I can tell you that the gift of faith is operating in me now with 100% steadfastness. And I'm in a place, in a position where I know that I know that I know that Jesus is Lord. And he's leading us into a battle in order to be victorious. Okay, so on one hand, we have societal rest across America, being fed by billionaires and trillionaires for the purpose of riots, burning down buildings, communist subversion. We have hyper-sexual perversity indoctrinating our children in the school systems. We have an assault against evangelism, Bible teaching, a biblical worldview. God's children, God's people are being humiliated. They're being mocked. Their their purity is under attack as they're being exposed to a literal garbage can of of immoral filth. But there exists in America—listen to me, please—there exists in America a remnant of the people of God. Even if it's just 1%, there exists in America a remnant of the people of God, and they are obeying the Lord as they can sense that the Lord Jesus Christ riding a white horse is at this very moment, calling them to rise right now in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to hear very clearly what the Lord is commanding you to do. The Lord is saying to you, your loved ones in your ministry right now, the Lord is saying to you, I am commanding you to rise in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as you obey him with childlike faith, and you begin to stand up and rise under the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is saying something else to you. He's saying, as you are rising and worshiping me in the power of the Holy Spirit, says the Lord, I am also asking you to come boldly before the throne of grace and to find uh, a favor in need through the blood of Jesus Christ. So what the Lord is exhorting us to do is to come boldly to the throne of grace in order to find an ever-present help in time of need, and we acquire that by putting our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we receive that anointing, we receive that power, we receive that victory, and we receive that supernatural authority in the name of Jesus. So now we are positioned in heavenly places. Please listen to me. We are positioned right now in heavenly places. God is positioning us for victorious warfare right now in heavenly places, and as by faith we rise in the power of the Holy Spirit. there are those angels, those saints of God, both men and women, uh, there are true Christians of every kind, they have chosen, and they represent a variety of levels and a variety of, of social stature, but they have they have pledged themselves. to, to wage war spiritually against all those that would attempt to wage war against us spiritually. And God at this moment is calling us to rise under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what you will feel right now is you will have an impression of the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on his throne room as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, And he is ruling and reigning all the universe and planet Earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, at the same time, you hear this King of kings and Lord of lords calling you to rise and stand up under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking you quietly and peacefully at this moment, lesser authority must yield to greater authority. I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus to rise and stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what it's going to feel like is going to feel like a wave of the life force of God. It's going to feel like the infusion of the power of the Holy Spirit, infusing every cell with God's divine energy. And as you obey God in an unquestioning manner, you're going to stand. Stand, therefore. And you're going to rise in the power of the Holy Spirit, and as you begin to rise in the power of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> there is a subsequent increase. There is a substantial increase in the intensity, the strength, and the power of God which is infusing you to, to such an extent that that part of you feels, on one level, a kind of uh, shaking, a kind of uh, uh, it's almost a quivering, but it's more of a fast-moving trembling or shaking you're beginning you're beginning to tremble and shake right now in the name of Jesus because your mortal man or woman has encountered has encountered the supernatural power of God and in this encounter with the supernatural power of God, the Lord God Almighty is infusing you with power from on high and that is creating an electrical holy spirit discharge. Which is supernaturally strengthening you, healing you, delivering you from all bondage, granting you words of wisdom, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, and many other factors. You're being quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're being infused by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as you stand and rise in obedient faith to the visitation of the Spirit of God that God is granting you right now, your automatic response is to unabashedly simply rise. And as you rise, you feel like this incredible, joyous, exhilarating life force top, flow from the top of your head to your chest to the bottom of your feet to your heart area. You are being filled with this exhilarating joy and life force, which is energizing you and lifting you up in the name of Jesus. Praise your name. Now, the final part. You and I are one contingent of the armies of the living god god has spoken to me god has spoken to you and he's given us a calling and a plan and a vision take the land and to occupy the land and so in an unquestioning manner we must obey the lord god almighty in an unquestioning manner so as we rise under the anointing of the power of the holy spirit the peace of god that passes all understanding is guarding our hearts and minds in christ jesus so at this very second, there is this assembling of this wondrous peace of God that passes all understanding. There is, there's a gathering of, of the still waters. There's the bubbling up of the rivers of living water out of your inmost being. And at this moment, God is replenishing you. God is refilling you. God is infusing you with the rivers of living water, the life force of God, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, you're being infused and blessed, and the rivers of living water are flowing into you, making you stronger, healthier, uh, happier, and breaking bondages and breaking confusion mentally and destroying all the works of the adversary. Praise your name, Jesus. So this is the final part of the assignment. God is speaking to you right now, and God is speaking to me right now. It is the will of God, and it is the highest plan of God that right now, contingents of his faithful remnant, that's you and me, we are to respond in obedience to the call of God as he calls us to rise under his anointing and power. As we rise under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, God begins to download in us everything we could need and more to be victorious in every dimension. Of the spiritual battle we're in. And so every dimension is being shattered by the supernatural power of God, and every dimension that is being shattered by the supernatural power of God is growing in strength, influence, and dominion. Now, it appears, but for a moment, like the children of Israel, when they had to escape Egypt and the Pharaoh God-King systems, And they were following Moses. And remember how Pharaoh was chasing them in the chariot? And Pharaoh, his heart was set to slaughter all the children of Israel. So what happened was, uh, obeying uh, uh, God's leadership, um, they marched into the Red Sea with the, the chariots of Pharaoh hot and heavy on their trail. And Moses was leading the children of Israel and the, and the chariots and the horses uh, were 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 riding through the dry ground where, where both sides of the Red Sea had split, and this was a supernatural deliverance by God towards his people, and Moses was leading the way now, as Moses reached the other side, and by now you know the majority of Pharaoh's army was like stuck about halfway in the middle of the splitting of the Red Sea. And so and so, Pharaoh was faced with the choice of doing an emergency U-turn and, and riding as fast as he could back to dry land and try to escape the flooding from the Red Sea. Or Pharaoh was faced with the other choice, which was to ride his horses and chariots as fast as he possibly could in an attempt to get back to the dry land from which he came and spare his lives and the lives of his people. And so this was a a do-or-die moment. So this is a collision. This is a confrontation between the Pharaoh-God-King system, which is demonic, and the Pharaoh-God-King system, which was birthed at the Tower of Babel in ancient Babylon and then moved to ancient Egypt with the Pharaoh-God-King system. Then, of course, this system moved throughout The kings and queens of Europe. It moved throughout North America and South America and other places. And so, at this final moment, God's people, and I write about this. This is why you need to get my books, A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume One, and A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume Two, and Power from On High, and The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World. Because in these books, I do a deep dive with you into the electrifying truth that God's people were, were caught in a crossfire. They were about to be ambushed. They were about to be slaughtered by Pharaoh and his armies. They were about to be destroyed, and there appeared to be no way of escape. So God speaks supernaturally to Moses, and Moses supernaturally leads his people to cross the Red Sea. Then the Red Sea folds back in under itself and drowns all the armies of Pharaoh, and drowns all the chariots uh, that are part of the armies of Pharaoh, and they move over to, to the promised land. Thus, beginning their saga, their lifelong saga, the story of the Jews moving from captivity to deliverance, and finally, at the second coming of Christ, the Jews will experience the full deliverance of the everlasting covenant. So, just like in the book of Revelation, when God is ready to deliver his people, both the Jews and the Christians, God is ready to deliver them in the book of Revelation and in the battle of Armageddon. And we have the seven trumpets, and we have uh, the other judgments, and we have the two witnesses, and we have the God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming down with the armies of heaven. And we have this... Literally, this apocalyptic confrontation and this Armageddon-like battle of an unprecedented scale. But we've already read in the Bible that God's people are victorious and God's people win the victory. So, the Great Reset was warned about by Jesus Christ. It was depicted in um, uh, Mystery Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel. The Great Reset is just a reboot of the new world order, the new ec- global economic system, and the new global government. That's all it is. It's a repeat, repeat of the three-part new world order. Remember that um, in ancient Babylon at the Tower of Babel, when God came down to judge them, he observed that the people of ancient Babylon were categorized into a one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world economic system. And In a satanic and deceptive way, they are going to rebrand that system. They are now calling it the Great Reset, and they are right on the precipice of establishing the world's most militant, the world's cruelest, the world's most demonic, uh, uh, occultic, satanic, Luciferian structure that is designed to imprison billions of people on planet Earth or incinerate the lives of billions of people on planet Earth. That's how serious this is. And what is coming in the near future is the globalist elite. That's the 1% of the super wealthy. What they want to do is keep uh, moving and accelerating the chaos. Chaos is their satanic prime driver. They want to accelerate the chaos. They want to accelerate uh, order out of chaos. They want to accelerate the World War III scenario with the Ukraine, with Russia, with the EU and America. They want to accelerate uh, WMD crises. They want to accelerate the uh, uh, malaria crises being spread by, by insects and, and other animals. They, they, they want to spread disease. They want to spread social anarchy. They want to spread hyper immorality. They are actively destroying all remnants of the Judeo-Christian biblical system upon which America was built. They're in the aggressive strategy of destroying that biblical system. And all of this is accelerating because we are moving to the point of time, and I write about this in my books at paulmaguire.us. we are moving to a point of time known as the end of the age and the last days And the signs of the times, and they are doing everything they can to force the human race by manipulating people through hyper fear. They're going to force the human race to throw away their cash money, throw away their gold, throw away their bitcoins, and all receive a neural chip implant, a biochip implant, uh, uh, a a micro uh, chip implant, and other chip implants are being prepared, and they're going to be installed in either the the right forehand or um, the the right head area. And that is going to be a wireless transmission where every human being who receives the nanochip implant is essentially receiving the mark of the beast, because in order to get them a nanochip implant, they're going to have to renounce Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Once they receive the nanochip implant, they'll be plugged into the hive mind in the world brain. And then every person is going to be in electronic telepathic communication. Every minute detail of their lifestyle will be carefully monitored. And there's nothing they can do, nothing where they can go to hide. They're going to be under constant electronic surveillance. This will be the implementation of the B system or the mark of the beast system, 666, talked about in the Bible. And so every, everybody who wants to be part of that world system and is willing to sell their soul to Satan, they're going to renounce Christ as God, and they're going to publicly and in a ceremonial manner, they're going to pledge to worship the Antichrist as God. Once you do that, there's no going back. You are either You have either sold your soul to Satan, or you have sold your soul to uh, um, the, the world system in Jesus Christ. Now, if you are offered the nanochip or the, the, the neural chip implant in order to buy and sell, you're going to get some kind of microscopic nanochip implant. In order for you to actually have that implanted in you, you're going to have to publicly renounce and disavow that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You're going to have to reject Jesus Christ as having made you born again. And then, in a ceremonial and public manner, you're going to have to openly proclaim that you have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord, and you're going to have to openly proclaim that you are pledging to worship Jesus, that you are pledging to worship the Antichrist as God. You have to worship the Antichrist as God, And then you'll be allowed to buy and sell. Now, if you refuse to worship the Antichrist as God, then you are going to be beheaded by guillotine. You'll have your head chopped off. And in case that's far-fetched, read my book, uh, The Greatest Battle. I visited the location where all the guillotines were placed during the French Revolution. And I saw all the giant occult symbols where they chopped off the heads of the clergymen. Symbols of the all seeing eye and other profane symbols. They were everywhere as head after head was chopped off in a public orgy and worship of Satan. Okay, so this is our time in history. The way we win this battle is by believing God. The way we win this battle is by faith in the promises of God. The way we win this battle is the way David won the battle against Goliath. The way we win this battle is the way. Joshua and Caleb won the battle against uh, the giants of old, the, the 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 that looked like grasshoppers. In all these key situations, when God gave His people spiritual vision, they were able to see the truth. So, for example, the humble assistant of Elisha the prophet was absolutely terrified when he saw the mighty Syrian army ready to come down upon the armies of Israel and openly slaughter the armies of Israel. Then the the assistant to Elijah the prophet, Elijah, he he was looking and he was freaking out, and all of a sudden Elijah the prophet thunders these words prophetically over the children of Israel, and he says um, that um, he asks God to open the eyes supernaturally of Elisha the prophet so that he can see into the spiritual realm. And then he asks God to supernaturally open the eyes of uh, uh, Elijah the prophet so he can see the real nature of the spiritual warfare. So instantaneously, Elijah the prophet has a supernatural vision, and he shouts out, Behold, I see the chariots of fire. So Elijah the assistant prophet sees this this mighty number of supernaturally glowing uh, uh, chariots. These are chariots that are lit up by the glory of God, and they look like gold chariots that are bursting in golden glorious light. And Elisha the prophet says, Behold, here are the chariots of fire. So he could see God's deliverance in the form of the technologies of God and the armies of God, because they were the chariots of fire, and they were lit up in the glory of God. And then Elijah the prophet said this, he saw the mighty uh, armies of Israel, and the mighty armies of Israel, they too were glowing supernaturally. They were lit up supernaturally. And, And Elijah the prophet realized that the armies of God and the chariots of fire were working hand in hand, And they were rising in the glory, they were rising in the power, and they were rising in the anointing of Almighty God. And they were poised to not only defeat the Syrian armies, but when the day is done, the Syrian armies were going to flee in terror for their lives. Now, so what happens is the battle begins, but now Elijah, the assistant prophet, his eyes are opened to the dynamics of the spiritual realm. He can see the chariots of fire and he can see the armies of heaven all around him. And um, they get in there, and they, and they cause fractures and defeat in, in, among, in and among the armies of, um, of Syria. And so what happens is the armies of Syria begin to break out and fight one another and kill one another. So what happens is, eventually, the armies of Syria flee and terror and retreat for their lives, because they've spent all their time spilling the blood of their own people. And this is just the beginning. So then you, you see, as you read the Bible, one battle after another, one miracle after a miracle. It's not all, you know, fun and games. There's losses and victories, losses and victories. But where this whole thing is moving, including America, it's moving in this direction. God has made a covenant with his people, and God has made a covenant with the children of Israel. In the last days, Jesus Christ is going to return from heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords. When he descends on the earth in a white horse, along with the chariots of fire, he's going to descend on the Valley of Armageddon, where he will defeat the false prophet, he will defeat the uh, Antichrist, and he will defeat all those that are opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. and so. Heaven, we are in the invisible realm. We are in the realm beyond time and space. We are in the place where we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and the battle is ours for all eternity. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. I'm asking you humbly to pray to the Lord and ask the Lord to tell you how much to donate and give financially to this ministry. Paradise Mountain Ministries, Paul McGuire Ministries, ask the Lord to tell you how much to give and donate to this ministry, and then radically obey God. Whatever God tells you to do, no matter how big or modest or whatever, the key is obedience. Whatever God tells you to do, radically obey Him and give the amount in terms of a contribution or donation that God has told you to give. Then when it comes to signing up for our eblast list, our social media, and everything else. Join us. Sign up. That's the only way we can break the rigging. And finally, I need you to, um, I need you to, be an intercessory prayer warrior for me, my family, and this ministry. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us.